Hey, what's up, everybody? Today we're having a conversation with Danny Chavez. Danny is a sergeant first class in the U.S. Army. He is retired law enforcement, a husband and a father. He's also on a brand new journey in his life, a journey that brought him from Texas to here in Minnesota. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Once again, thanks for listening. For those of you who are new to the podcast, my name is Amos Olivares, and I serve as an executive pastor here at Cedar Valley Church, and I am your host. This podcast is specifically designed to bring a godly perspective to some real-life messy. One thing we know is that everybody's got a little messy in their life. Some people talk about it, and some people choose not to talk about it. I actually believe that there's healing when you talk about the messy in life. I also think it's very encouraging when godly men or women get vulnerable with you and share with you some of the messy in their life. We've had this happen time and time again on our podcast, and it's always so very encouraging. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Danny Chavez, who is sitting to my left, uh, to my left. Danny, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Amos. Appreciate it. So, uh, first of all, thanks for making the time to be here with us. We have uh, some great listeners out there. They look forward to the podcast. They always know that these podcasts are going to be uh, a little bit funny, uh, but mostly very challenging. And uh, we get great feedback on this podcast. So, thanks for taking the time to be here. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to everybody? Tell us a little bit about your background as a kid, as a young man, and now as a retired law enforcement officer, husband of of uh, of one Melody, and father of three. Yeah, Amos, thanks for having me over. Um, yeah, my life has been a journey, and uh, of course, I grew up in uh, Taos, New Mexico, and grew up in a Christian home. Um, I, uh, after graduation, I, uh, went immediately into the Marine Corps Reserve and, uh, it was something that I always wanted to do. I wanted to, uh, go into the service because my grandpa and my uncle and my cousins were, were in the service. So I, I went into the Marine Corps Reserve, uh, after basic training, I came back, uh, to, uh, to New Mexico and that's where I met, uh, my wife, uh, Melody. We... Got married at a very young age. I think uh, I was 18 and she was 17 when we met, and we were married shortly after. And uh, we're still married today. We've been married uh, 31 years or so. Um, I started in law enforcement. I worked uh, 20 years in law enforcement. And uh, during that time of law enforcement, I stayed active with the Army National Guard in New Mexico. Uh, I was a flight medic with them and and did a, a little over... 25 years with them, uh, retired from law enforcement, and then uh, and then started a, a teaching career, teaching uh, medicine and teaching uh, uh, leadership and, and things like that. So one of the things that nobody knows, um, unless you know, I guess, is that Danny is my cousin. He's my first cousin. My mother and his mother are sisters, and so... 
Uh, man, what a great privilege to have you on the podcast. First time I have a relative on the podcast, so that's really exciting. So I know Danny. I've looked up to Danny my entire life. And something really special took place a year ago here at Cedar Valley Church that involved Danny. So to make a long story short, because I want to get to uh, some of the things in Danny's life that I know is going to be very helpful to those of you who are listening is a year ago we were hosting an event here at Cedar Valley and we call it Unite. Unite is a, a weekend here at Cedar Valley where we celebrate our volunteers. The, the ministry of Cedar Valley is only because of our great volunteers, uh, many people sacrificing every week to ensure that the ministry is strong here at Cedar Valley, and we bring in a guest speaker to encourage us. And so I thought of Danny, because at the time Danny was teaching in San Antonio. Uh, he was teaching courses there at the, at the U.S. Army base. And I knew that he had a certain talk that I thought was very appropriate for the Unite audience. It was kind of centered around team building and empathy. And so I reached out to Danny, asked him to come be the speaker, and he told me no. I called him a couple of days later. He told me no again. I got to the point where I was begging and um, doing anything I could to compel him to come and do this. And finally, he said yes. And like literally a few weeks before the event, he said yes. And we finally got him to get here. And then the event took place. He did an outstanding job. Someone happened to be in the audience that day. God spoke to this man's heart and this man ended up calling my cousin Danny, and after some conversations, Danny ended up moving from San Antonio, Texas, to here in Minnesota. So now, Danny's a part of Cedar Valley. He is uh, here with us this Sunday, as a matter of fact. He'll be standing on the platform as uh, being recognized for a new membership, him and his wife. So I love the fact that they are here. But there's a crazy side to the story from your end regarding Unite. Why don't you share your side of the story with, with the listeners? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, speaking about leadership and speaking about teamwork and team building and understanding people and understanding how to work with people. And it's something that I've taught in law enforcement. I've taught to the military community. I started teaching to different churches. And so I've always enjoyed speaking. Um, and when you first asked me to come up here, it wasn't that I didn't want to come up here. It was actually that I was very involved in my position in San Antonio. And there was no way that I could see that I would be able to come uh, back up there, uh, up here. And so uh, finally, after all of your begging, yep. uh, I decided to come up here. And what really intrigued me about this talk um, is that what you asked me to speak about, and it was about uh, speaking to the people about, uh, you know, teamwork and about feeling value in what they did. And uh, that has always intrigued me because uh, I, I, I came at it from a lessons learned type of perspective. You know, everything that's happened to me in my whole life from being in law enforcement and being in the military has always been a lesson learned. Yeah. And so a lot of my, my talks have been centered around lessons learned. Yeah. And so it was, it was a really a privilege to be able to come here and share about that during that talk. Yeah. But something happened the following day. Yeah. So that next Sunday uh, in the service, I started to feel a very strong pull from God 
uh, saying, this is where you need to be. And it caught me by surprise because there was never anything that I ever would have thought of. There was nothing about Minnesota, first of all, yeah. that, that, that I was interested in. There was no jobs here that I was interested in. I was very uh, ingrained and successful in, my, in what I was doing in San Antonio. But I felt a very strong pull from God, and I chalked it up to emotion. Hmm. Um, I told you uh, after that after that Sunday service, I said, you know, I feel like God has has is be, is calling me here. But I said, you know what, I'm I'm not saying a thing to my wife. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her anything because I think this is all emotion. I I said to God, I said, if you want us up here, you're going to have to talk to her. Yeah. Because I'm not the one that's going to be able, be the one to manipulate this and tell my wife that I think we should be coming up here. So. Yeah, well, for those of you listening, if you've ever had a transition, it might sound, you know, you might think this sounds crazy, but for everybody else who's had a transition in their life, this is sort of how transition works, right? There's always that supernatural piece to the to the story, and uh, man, I'm so glad you live here in Minnesota. I'm so glad you're part of Cedar Valley. It's been really cool to see you get involved, jump right in which is something you've always done in the different cities that you've lived in. Um, but it's great to have you here. So I want to talk a little bit about your military life. Um, Ten years ago, you received your first deployment. And, uh, and then a few years after that, you had a second deployment. Give us a picture of what it looked like when you got that call in your first deployment. Yeah, well, first you have to understand that my first deployment was a complete surprise to me. Uh, I never expected it, and I didn't anticipate it. I was 38 years old, I believe, at the time. I was well-established in my law enforcement career. I was being, I was successful. Uh, my boys were 9, 12, and 15 years old. Melody and I had been married, obviously, for several years already, and I had a, I was pretty stable. And when my unit received orders to deploy to Afghanistan, uh, it really threw a wrench into our whole life. Um, like I said, I didn't expect it, but uh, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2011 as a flight medic with our unit. And what was challenging about it is that I was a brand new flight medic. I had no experience in medicine. I had not even touched a patient my whole life. I, the most I had done is work on mannequins. And we received notification that this deployment was going to be pretty significant. Uh, we were going to be supporting the Marine Corps operating in the Sangin Valley of Afghanistan. And what we understood is that uh, they, there were six to nine missions happening every single day of where uh, our unit would be going out to pick up injured Marines. So give us an example of what a mission looks like. There's several a day, but what's one mission look like potentially? So, if, uh, so exam for example, if the Marines are out doing some type of an operation and they were to get, in one of them were to get injured in combat, uh, uh, they would immediately put a call out to dust off. That's our, that was our call sign. And we're a medevac where, where a UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter that's outfitted with a flight medic in the back, and we go out there and we pick up the injured from the battlefield, and we get them to a higher level of care. Uh, and so each mission is an individual person or more than one person that we go out and we pick up and we bring to a higher level of care. And it, can, it, it comes with risk. You know, it comes with risk because 
it is a live combat uh, situation. There's enemy out there that are trying to take us down and trying to um, uh, keep us from from picking up these these Marines. And so uh, the fact that we're doing six to nine of these every single day was not only exhausting, but it was uh, it was uh, risky and tense. It was def definitely tense. So you in your first deployment, you were out there for a year. You did over 200 missions on your first deployment. Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty close to there. Um, our unit as a whole did something around 1,600 missions, and that year we picked up 2,400 patients. And so we were busy. And uh, what I didn't anticipate was that 40% of our patients out there were not Marines, they were kids. And that so was, you pick up Marines, but you'll also pick up kids of of citizens from there that are not part of the combat, or how does that work? Right. So here's something people really don't realize about the Afghan people is that they were caught in the middle of this war. We were at war with the Taliban, and so the the population there had nothing to do with this, and they were caught in the middle. And along with those people were the kids that were caught in the middle, and the kids were used as pawns. In, in in this war by the Taliban. The, the Taliban would uh, purposely injure these kids, uh, abuse them, um, and do horrific things to these kids, and then take these kids to the Marines under the guise of trying to get these kids help. The Marines would call in for a medevac for us to go pick up the kids, and the Taliban would use this instance to try to get, um, try to get information on how we operated. And so these kids were caught in the middle, and 40% of those 2,400 patients were wow. children. Wow. All, from the age of, I think my youngest patient was six months old, all the way up to, to adult. Wow. So you come back from deployment, you have three boys who are all in school. I'm sure that was a very long year for the family. Um, and then you get right back into law enforcement, and then it happens all over again. Yeah, I, I, I came back and I was a very different person. Um, there was a lot of learning that Melody and I had to do with each other. Um, she had to deal with a lot of the things that were going on in my head at that time. I was dealing with uh, a lot of PTSD uh, issues. Um, I was highly irritable. I was closed off to her. And um, uh, had it not been for the prayers of a lot of people, I think our marriage probably would have ended. I don't think we could have made it past a lot of these things. Do you know by chance, um, people who serve in that same capacity on deployment, um, is it very common to come home and then to just really struggle and marriages fall apart? I mean, what, what's, what's it like in that community, I guess? Yeah. So, you know, these service, service members that come home from these deployments, um, it is, it is very, very common for there to be uh, struggles like divorces, um, uh, suicides. Uh, I think the numbers right now are something like 22 suicides per day from service members uh, that happen. And a lot of this is attributed to just the things that uh, service members experience on deployments. And they yeah. come home and they have to deal with now civilian life after having come from uh, an environment like that. Yeah. If by chance you're listening and you served in the military 
uh, or you have someone who you deeply love who served in the military, we want to say thank you for your service as well. Um, and praying that you have um, managed to get back into the routine of things, um, hopefully better than what these uh, statistics suggest. Um, so then the second deployment comes for you, Danny. And so what's happening now? I mean, this is, this is what, five years later? Uh, actually, it was 10 years later. So 10 years later. A lot had happened between the two deployments. I, I finished my law enforcement career. I retired in 2016. I started teaching. I started, uh, um, I was much more experienced and mature in, in, my, uh, in my role as a paramedic. I had been doing a lot of leadership classes. I had been, uh, uh, I was a, at a completely different place in my life. Uh, my kids were grown. And um, and I received another notification that we were being deployed to the region of Iraq, Syria, and uh, Jordan. And so what happens? You're like, oh my gosh, am I going to do this? <laughs> do you have a choice? Well, what, what's I, happening? I, I did have a choice, but at this point in my career, I was the senior flight paramedic in my unit, and there was very little experience in my unit at that time of flight medics. None of them had been deployed. Uh, none of them had any experience with, with being in a combat area. And I remembered what it was like with my deployment in Afghanistan, being scared and not knowing, not knowing what to do, not being sure of myself. And I've, I had a conversation with Melody and I said, I cannot not go on this deployment and let these guys go over there and fend for themselves. I wanted to go as a as a mentor. I wanted to go as as the as the person having experience and help the unit get through what what, what turned out to be a pretty difficult deployment as well. Yeah, that's pretty selfless of you to do. Um, you have boys at this age that are what age? Um, so at this time, I had my oldest son who. Uh, coincidentally deployed at the same time that I did. He was in the Air Guard, and he actually deployed to the same region at the same time that I was over there. Uh, I had my my middle son that was uh, getting ready to graduate from college, and that was a pretty significant moment in mm -hmm. his life that I ended up missing. And then I had my younger son that was in high school getting ready to graduate from high school. So it wasn't the ideal time in your life to have a second deployment? And probably wasn't the, you know, for sure wasn't the best time, but because of the camaraderie in the military and because of your devotion to your guys, not that they're more important than your family, but you're like, this is why people get into the military. I can't let them just go and I, I got to go be there with these guys and, and, yeah, you, and there, you go. There's a sense of duty that comes along with it. And I remember the conversation that I had with Melody. And Melody has always been super supportive over on everything that, I, that I've done. And she told me, um, I married you, bef you know, you were in the military when I married you. And when I married you, I knew that this, that these times would come. And she goes, if you feel like this is something you have to do, then I'm behind Man, you. Man, I've heard that said on movies, but I've never heard of a real story, <laughs> like a real life story of a wife saying that that's pretty awesome she has never one time wavered that's uh, pretty awesome never one time told me i i don't want you to go um now she did tell me this that when i came back from this last deployment she did tell me never again never again <laughs> never again two is all you get <laughs> all right so 
I got. I want to make a point here because the main reason of you being on this podcast was something you had said to me in conversation that I think is going to be so encouraging to everybody. But I just got to say that it seems like since you've been an adult, you've really done pretty risky and courageous things. Like that's been your choice for earning an income, right? Like, like that's just been, you know, a cop for 20 plus years. Um, and I know you've done SWAT team, sniper in the SWAT team, detective. Um, I actually did a ride along with you when I was in high school and you were a cop. Um, so I've seen you in action in, in that, but that's a very risky job, right? We just had a devastating incident a few nights ago here in Minnesota and Burnsville and, um, our hearts and prayers are for sure with the families of those impacted by this senseless, um, shootings. So, but there's a lot of risk in that. Um, and then obviously the military, not just have you done the deployments, but you've done lots of fire and rescue, uh, all throughout the state of New Mexico for people who have found themselves in dangerous situations. So you've just had lots of risk, lots of courageous acts as an adult. Um, but you said something to me the other night at dinner about the thing that no one knows related to that statement that I would love for you to share with, with our listeners. Yeah, I think the only person that I've ever actually spoken with about some of this stuff is probably with Melody, um, because she knows my heart, and she, she's been with me through the entire journey. And I have always struggled with my personal identity. I have always struggled with how I viewed myself and how I felt other people viewed me. And I have always tried to define myself by, by what I did. And so I was always pursuing things that I could define myself by. And when, and it was always things that I felt were prestigious, things that I felt were looked favorably upon by the public. And, you know, being in law enforcement in New Mexico, especially being in law enforcement is, you know, people looked up, especially back in those days, people looked up to law enforcement. Yeah. They, That's not necessarily the case in Minnesota or and, in Minneapolis. And not the case in most places uh, now. But back then, uh, you know, this was, this was back in the 90s, uh, people looked up to law enforcement and, and it was considered a, a very uh, commendable career to yeah. get into. And yeah, so it definitely was. I said, I, I want to I be a cop. I want to be, be out there serving. But, but the larger part of that was that I wanted to identify as something uh, because I was struggling with self-esteem. I was struggling with not knowing who I was. Um, and so I kept on pursuing things that would bring me that, uh, that would help me define myself. Mm -hmm. So started law enforcement. Um, I was a patrol officer. Uh, and then, you know, I would see the detectives out there and I was like, I want to be a detective. You know, that would be pretty cool. And I became a detective and did that for a couple of years. And I saw the SWAT team operating. I was like, you know what? I want to be a SWAT officer. I want to. I want to be out there, you know, doing the the, you know, the the uh, risky things. And then I was on the SWAT team. And I was like, you know what? Uh, you know what's really cool in the SWAT team is snipers. Snipers are pretty cool in the SWAT team. And so I became a sniper. Um, and my my whole role in the military, you know, uh, 
being a flight medic and going out there and rescuing people and 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 bringing them home to their families i i felt like that was you know so such a higher calling something bigger than myself and and and, and the fact is that i was always looking for how to define myself i was always looking for what person and and i i still struggle with that today was is who am i as a person you know now especially now that i'm i'm not in that role of law enforcement anymore i'm not as active as a flight medic uh, I struggle every day with, okay, well, now what? Yeah. Who am I? I see that as a, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that could easily be a struggle that that people in general, like I don't think you have to be in the military to have that struggle. I can see how it played it played out in your life. But I think like in, in the ministry world where I live or or in the coaching world where I spend a lot of time, um, or even corporate America, I would imagine that there's probably a real danger in attaching what you do to who you are. Like maybe that's what climbing the corporate ladder, maybe a lot of the motive in that is that like, man, if I become something big in terms of like fame or popularity or esteem or whatever, then I'll feel better about myself. But I hear time and time and time again from people like yourself who have done amazing things that even when those things take place, there's still like that void in your heart when it all comes to an end. You know, like you hear rich people talk about how sad they are or how they how having so much was never enough or whatever you hear, you know, you've, you've got all these great accomplishments, but there was this thing inside of you that continued to like chase self-worth and self-esteem you know so it seems like this is something that potentially a lot of people struggle with yeah i i would say self-worth um played a a a, a big part i was always chasing after something and i think i think it never really satisfied me um you know, I was always trying to make my wife proud. I, w- I wanted my kids to be proud of me. I wanted my boys to think, man, my dad is X, Y, Z. My dad is a is a rock star. My my dad does this. My dad does it. And I wanted my, uh, my family to be proud of me. And I wanted my friends to look up to me. And I was always chasing after that. And it was actually never enough. I mean, people now will look at my career and say, wow, I can't believe you did all that stuff. That's incredible. You know, and and... And there's still a void. My wife will tell me all the time, I think you're a rock star. My, my, my kids will tell me that they're proud of me as their dad, and it never really fulfills. That's, that's so crazy to hear. Um, there's, a, there's a true reality to that, though. And I, I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast probably would say I can relate to that. I think of, I'm thinking of the dogs, the greyhound dogs when they race. And they put like this fake little bunny out in front of them. And then that's what they chase. Like not realizing like it's just this furry little bunny attached to a bar that's causing, you know, and I think in my own life, how many times have I been guilty of chasing something because of what I think it'll do. And then when I get it, it actually doesn't satisfy, you know, I see that as a prevalent within the church. I see that prevalent amongst Christians. I see that prevalent in, in families, especially you talking about wanting the approval of your wife and your children. Like I see that prevalent with fathers. I see us 
I see me doing things sometimes to gain, you know, to, to, to set myself up that way. And then, and then it happens and it's like, Oh, that was not worth all of that. Like, why did I step outside of myself to do that? Like that did not give me what I thought it was going to give me. Yeah. I've, I've always, I've always tried to pursue a, a purpose that was, that was bigger than myself. And, and I've always wanted for my life to have meaning and for it to matter. Uh, you, you had a sermon uh, a while back about uh, the stressors of uh, people in their older age about leaving a legacy. And I related to that so much because uh, I, want, I want people to, to see what I've done in life and, and for it to have mattered, for me to have made a difference in yeah. people's life. And what I struggle with day to day to day is that I never feel that fulfillment. I never feel that that I have attained that. Yeah. So, so in a way to encourage the people that are listening to this podcast, because now, now they're all convinced, we're all convinced after hearing you talk, that what we do does not necessarily like feed who we are or what we do is not who we are like we get that so now where's the godly side of this thing like the solution to this thing the way you find fulfillment the way you fill the void the way you stop pursuing other things for 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 the wrong reasons like how what's the solution to this thing like for the person listening who would say man Danny I feel the same way even in what I'm doing right now like how I'm going about things in my life right now like what's the solution how do you help us how do you help us improve in this well a couple things uh, the ultimate fulfillment comes from god the ultimate person that that you want to hear in the end well done faithful servant is from god and ultimately your focus has to be on on making god proud and the way I did that in my life started on that service, that service after Unite, when I was sitting there in, in the service, I felt God, the calling that God put in my heart at that point was, I have something for you, and what you're doing right now is not it. Mm. And I was happy. I was happy where I was. And so... When Melody and I finally talked, and she finally felt that pulling from God as well, completely independent from anything I ever told her, she ended up feeling that pulling as well. And when we spoke, I told her, I have no idea what's up in Minnesota. I don't know what we're doing. She didn't have a job she was going to be coming to. The job that I was offered was nowhere near anything that I had ever done in my life. I didn't even know what I would be doing ministry-wise. I had no idea. And I literally laid it all on the table, and I told God, I will, I will, I will go, yeah. but I have no idea where you're going to have me. And to this day, you know, I've been here for maybe three or four months, I still have no idea. And I, <laughs> am, <good. laughs> I am absolutely uh, open to what God has for me, and, I've, and I'm, I'm hoping that in anything He gives me, I'll be obedient. Yeah. But I finally had to surrender my personal ambitions, surrender that completely to God and say, I'm going to be defined by what you define me. That's awesome. I can't tell you how attractive 
it is for people like me to sit with godly men like you and and some godly women that we've sat with who are willing to be vulnerable enough to let us into the weaknesses that that they have because from the outside looking in you do look like a rock star your resume is um it's unbelievable some of the things you've done even working on the content here 20 plus years of law enforcement two different uh deployments over 400 missions i mean each one of those missions is like what we see in the movie like helicopter comes into this battlefield and gunshots going all over the place and this dude comes down on a hoist and picks up an injured marine and back in like that's you and that happened 400 plus times like and then to be in san antonio teaching at this level on a national level you know medevac units to go and do exactly that in other places like it's a it's a it's a it's a crazy awesome resume but then for you to sit here and be like and guess what man like i i and and you're also the first guest by the way to to still say i don't know that i have it all figured out yet like i'm still kind of in it like i can't tell you how attractive that is in godly leaders and i think the church would be so much better if we could just be more authentic just more real just more honest with where we are cuz cuz honestly more most people sitting in our churches today that's where they're at like that's where i'm at you know, like this is, this life thing is not easy. This identity thing is not easy. It's hard. And more of a, more people struggle with this than are willing to talk about it for sure. So I'm hoping number one, that your talk today even helps the listener today, um, to be more honest with where they're at in their walk. And you don't have to have it all put together, man. You don't have to have it all figured out to be effective for the kingdom. Cause you're already doing great things now for the kingdom here at, at the church. But you don't have to have it all together, and I think that in itself is a great lesson, right? You don't have to, and it's okay if you don't have it all figured out. Like, it's okay. I tell the kids at the university all the time, like, don't be so worried about conquering the whole world. Just just concern yourself with being faithful to God every day, and He'll take care of the rest. Especially being faithful in the position that you're in at the moment and at that time. Yep. You and I have always uh, uh, identified with Joseph Yep. And his story is just like that. He didn't know the end story, but he knew that any place that he was at, he was going to be the very best that he could be. That That's perfect. Well said. Yeah. So for those of you guys listening, first of all, if you come to Cedar Valley Church, uh, I challenge you to just walk up to Danny Chavez <laughs> and introduce yourself to him and tell him thank you for your podcast. I also challenge you to share this with somebody who you know might be struggling with this uh, with this topic that we talked about today. And lastly, I challenge you to take this to, to a time of prayer for your own life and that you would um, just start wrestling with this idea and really allowing God, or maybe like what Danny did, just put it all on the table, everything, like everything that I identify myself with, like all my accolades, all my accomplishments, like everything that, I'm, that I am, I put it on this table and I leave it at your feet and I'll just take up the calling that you place on my life, and, and I'll be faithful to that. Maybe that would be something great to do. Um, but for sure, taking it to prayer would be the absolute best thing you could do. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks, what Davis. a very encouraging um, message that was for, for me, for sure, and I know everybody else. Um, 
thanks for allowing us in. Thanks for having me, Amos. I appreciate those it. places in your in your heart that most people don't know. And for the rest of you listening, thank you for spending some time with us uh, today. It's another one of our uh, Lean Into the Messy podcast. And uh, we look forward to our episode next month. Have a great day. Adios. Adios.